You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's the Amazing Rico Bronia Podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. New York Mets are kicking ass out west. Welcome to Rico Bronia. We are doing this halfway through the four-game series against the San Francisco Giants. Pete and I are recording this right after the late-night Friday night victory as Joey Lucchese, of all people, delivers seven brilliant innings and the Mets beat the San Francisco Giants 7 nothing. Back-to-back wins against the Giants. 9-4-7-0. They have had an outstanding West Coast trip. A lot to get to. We'll recap both of the games against San Francisco, plus all the news over the last 48 hours. There's been a ton. The Max Scherzer suspension. Max Scherzer deciding not to fight the suspension. A veteran washed-up starting pitcher that may be available. And obviously the news around Ronnie Mauricio and how the Mets are going to start to use him. But let's start off with the way this team is playing. I looked, and I mentioned this on the last Rico, when they played that finale against the Dodgers, that felt like an extra important game. You know, you play 162 games, you want to win all of them, but there are certain games in the 162 that feel just a little bit more important. We had mentioned that even last week when they wrapped up the three-game series against San Diego, that that was a big swing game. They win the game against the L.A. Dodgers, which was surprising, especially when Max Scherzer is ejected. And now you're looking at Jimmy Yacobonis in the Met bullpen. Now they take on this lousy San Francisco Giants team. And in the opener of this series, the offense looks pretty quiet. It's not really doing much early against Sean Manaya, And they did have the leadoff man on a couple of times. They do nothing. And then explode in the fourth inning. And the explosion had a lot to do with Pete Alonzo, who continues to hit home runs every freaking day. Hits the two-run home run that gave him a 2 nothing lead. Eduardo Escobar hits a home run. They jump all over Sean Manaya. They give Kodai Senga a big, comfortable 5 nothing lead. And Senga struggles, and I'm, we're still figuring out Kodai Senga. I'm wondering if Senga struggles with leads because he struggled against the Oakland A's, and that was a weird game where – there was so much time in between batters, so much time in between innings, not really batters, between innings, and Sango was warming up in the bullpen to try to keep himself sharp. So I wonder, because in this game, the Mets give him a 5 nothing lead, and then in the fifth inning, he really labored. He gave up a couple of home runs, issued a bunch of walks, and he's able to finally get through that inning. But maybe it's because pitching with a lead, he struggles with. I don't know. Guys only made four major league starts with this team, so we're figuring it out. But then the Mets add insurance in the sixth, insurance in the seventh. Jeff McNeil has a breakout performance hitting his first home run of the season and getting three more base hits. It was just an all-around fun offensive effort as they win the opener of this series against the Giants. And what's funny is going into that game on Thursday night, what was everybody's complaints? I know it was probably Pete's complaint. I haven't had some complaints, and that was the lineup. The fact that Tomas Nito was catching, the fact that Brett Beatty was not playing third base, the fact that Escobar and Nito were in the lineup, and Alvarez and Beatty weren't. Am I right, Pete? You were pissed off about that. Yeah, I was actually very pissed, and I made a point about the fifth inning. I think that Francisco Alvarez could have just been just as bad behind the plate. Uh, and he could have helped Cody Singer give him four runs in fifth. So. so here's my issue about the lineup. My issue, uh, Nito Alvarez, I agree with. Let's just put that away. That's obvious, and that's been a debate we've been having for the last week or so. Um, Alvarez is starting to play a little bit more. He has started one of the two games in San Francisco. 
He started a game against the Dodgers, but he did start two against Oakland. So it does feel like it's trending a little bit better, but obviously he's not playing every single day. I did not have an issue with Eduardo Escobar starting. And I'll tell you why. Escobar had good career numbers against Sean Manaya, and I don't want to ignore that because you are still trying to win games. Here's my problem. Beatty still should have been in the lineup. I'm defending Escobar playing. Well, there are ways Escobar could have played and Brett Beatty could have played. One example is Luis Guillorme. Now, Guillorme had a good game. He had a good game both times, but he drew a walk. He had a double, and we all know how great his defense is. I'm just saying going into the game, because obviously we don't know the results. I didn't have an issue with Escobar playing. My issue more was why can't Brett Beatty play too? Uh, it wasn't even Tommy Pham DHing, because that was another option. There's various ways Escobar can play, and so can Beatty. One is Beatty plays third base, Escobar DHs. But the one I was really thinking about was Beatty plays third base, Escobar plays second. So I think a lot of Met fans issue may have been Escobar. That was not my issue, but it was more Brett Beatty should play against Sean Manaya. We talked about this when you were out, Pete, uh, Lugie and I. I had no problem sitting Beatty against Kershaw. He's an all-time great left-hander. It could put him in a massive batting slump when you're facing a Hall of Fame pitcher like that. But against the likes of Sean Manaya, let him play. Against every other lefty, not named Clayton Kershaw, I would have Brett Beatty out there, let him play. He is letting him face left-handed relievers, which we've seen. So I keep it up because the only way Brett Beatty is going to learn how to hit left-handed pitching is to just continue to face left-handed pitching. No, and we saw that in the, in minor leagues too. Like Beatty was still able to to hit left-handed pitching, so it's not like he can't do it. I I don't disagree with the Kershaw stuff. It's a little bit difficult, but it's different. Clayton Kershaw is a future Hall of Famer. We're not talking about Sean Manai, who we've watched him blow up for the past couple seasons in San Diego. Yes, there's a difference. Absolutely. Uh, there's no doubt a difference. And as this team continues to face lefties, who they seem to face every other day, it's crazy how often they face left-handed pitching. Brett Beatty should be out there. Escobar is going to get to play. And I don't have a problem with that. It's more how do you balance Beatty getting a chance to play along with Escobar getting a chance to play. As far as the game we just watched, the middle game or game two of this four-game series, we got to hand it to your boy, Joseph Arthur Aloysius Michelangelo Lucchese. Because Joey Lou delivered, and I didn't expect that. He was pitching well at AAA. He was. I think in his last performance, he pitched into the seventh inning. So we know he's been stretched out. But I did not expect, I really didn't, even against the Giants, that in his first start in the major leagues, after Tommy John surgery, that Joey Lucchese would give us, without a shadow of a doubt, the best performance we've seen from a starting pitcher. The Mets starting pitching this year, while I wouldn't say it's been bad, has not gone deep into games. Again, real quick, this is how the Mets have done in terms of innings pitched from their starting pitchers. Six innings, five innings, five innings, five and a third, four innings, five and a third, four innings, six, six, four and two-thirds, five, five and two-thirds, five, four and two-thirds, five, five, six, five, three, five, and then Lou Casey. There's a lot of fives in there. There's a couple of fours in there. The best we've seen was six. On this night in the Bay Area, Joey Lucchese pitched seven scoreless innings, allowed only four base hits. He walked two guys, both of which came early in the game, and he struck out nine. He got better as the game went on. His pitch count was 97 after seven, so I get why Buck took him out. But, Pete, he could have gone eight. <laughs> I mean, he, he struck out the side. In the last inning he pitched, he was as dominant and really as good as we've ever seen him as a Met. First of all, I looked this up because I know you're going to go with the crazy middle names. It's Joseph George Lucchese. But that's so boring. George is so boring, Pete. It's not boring. It's (laughs) badass. J.G. Lucchese. Let's go. With the his version of the slutter, whatever it is he throws, (laughs) the slurve, the churve, who cares? I told everybody this. There was one guy I wanted to see, and you were knocking this. You're like, ah, Joey Lucchese, you can't rely upon. This guy, 
he actually had some decent moments in San Diego a few years ago. Obviously, the Tommy John set him back, but he's a professional pitcher. I, I know people can't imagine that. I, I listen; it's unexpected so so soon. But this guy might be the key to our our rotation. All I said about Luke Casey is that Peterson, Miguel, Budo, I was kind of back and forth about, just deserved to be ahead of him on the depth chart. That's all it was. Well, guess what? The depth chart <laughs> has been has been blown up. You know, Peterson and McGill were in the rotation basically before the season started. Budo got the call and can't come up for another eight or nine days or less than that now, but could not come up. So we were down to Lou Casey. And I just viewed him as seventh, eighth, ninth on that chart. But when you get an opportunity, you got to go out and perform. And if you go out and perform, you could change everything. Uh, I go back to DeGrom. When DeGrom was called up back in 2014, Rafael Montero was the bigger prospect. Rafael Montero was the guy who was supposed to make the starts and stay in the rotation. DeGrom was great in his first major league start. The Mets never took him out of the rotation. And so there is an opportunity ahead of Joey Lucchese. And in his first start back is I barely remember him now from 2021. You're right. He had good moments with San Diego. And I do remember that. But as far as him with us in 2021, it, it wasn't a lot. And it's been a long time, a very long time. So it was great to see him back. It was great to see him get through trouble early because he was able to do that. He gave up a one-out double to Wilmer Flores, walked Aaron Ruff, and got a huge double play against J.D. Davis. Luis Guillorme and Francisco Lindor is just, their leather is beautiful. Hey, it's just such a beautiful double play combination. So as much as I said, hey, Escobar in the lineup is fine, play Beatty at third base, I also acknowledge that while that's better offensively, despite Guillorme actually hitting recently, he's there for his defense and he's brilliant defensively, but he gets through the first inning, gives up a leadoff walk in the second inning, gets through that inning, gets another double play in the third inning. Really the first three innings, he was not dominant, but he was able to make the big pitch when he needed to was able to get big double play balls, two double plays in the first two innings. Brandon Nimmo made another great catch on that. Yastrzemski play. And then really I'd say from the fourth inning on, he was dominant. I mean, just unhittable. He struck out two guys in the fourth. He struck out all three guys in the fifth with a single mixed in. Gave up a very cheap bloop single to Tyro Estrada and quickly erased it when Wilmer grounded into a double play. And then he struck out the side in the seventh. He got better as the game went on. This team needs innings from their starting pitching. That's right now, look, they're playing great baseball, so it's tough to kind of nitpick their issues. But their biggest issue, and it's more of a thing that will affect them long-term, is you can't get four or five innings out of your starters every day. It's just, it's an unsustainable thing, even if you're calling up guys from the minors every few days. So it was great to see seven innings where you don't have to use your bullpen. Brooks Raley comes in, pitches an inning great, and then Tommy Hunter gets to lower that ballooned-up ERA. Obviously, the Met offense backed them up in this game. Pete Alonzo continues to... Have a special season. Boy, I'll tell you, Hoffman's had a great start to this year, personally for you. Because think about it. Think about how good things have been for Pete. With two games into the season, Alonzo MVP candidate. Well, he's only pounded out 10 home runs and how many ever RBIs he has now. Because he drove in four in this game against the Giants. So he's got 23 RBIs and 10 home runs. And he's playing great defense. So your MVP argument, off to a tremendous start. Lucchese, Lucchese, Lucchese. He gets the call, boom. First starting pitcher to pitch seven innings. Here's the other thing, the cherry on top of Pete. In the one game the Mets have lost on the West Coast trip, the guy he wanted to sign during the offseason, J.D. Martinez, essentially drives in every run. You should play the lottery this week, Pete. No, 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 no. I just, I am, I'm so locked into baseball. I know I, all I'm accused of is hot takes uh, with with Tiki and Tierney, but I just uh, know baseball better than some other people. That's all it comes down to. He knows yes, ball, bro. That's let's it, man. Let's freaking go. 
He knows ball. But you're off to a great start. Your predictions are flying right now. And it. even and listen, and really, the Alonzo case was more not about his bat, but more about his defense. And again, even today, you see he's able to make these throws to first base that he pulls him off the bag. He's still able to get the run around at first because he gets the tag in. It's like everything is going right for Pete Alonzo. Pete Alonzo has now hit 10 home runs so far this season. So Pete Alonzo has now hit 156 home runs in his short career in 551 games. He is going to be the all-time Met home run leader at some point, not this year, of course, though the pace he's on. He may hit 70. Nah, I'm not there yet with that. We'll have other discussions on where he can go with that and also how exciting that would be. Because we do live in a world in which last year a guy hit over 60. Uh, Hitting over 60 is no longer any kind of record. It's not a National League record for sure. It used to be an American League record. So, look, I'd love to see Pete hit 65 home runs because that means the Mets are having a great year and he's having a great year. I wonder if there's any meaning to it anymore. I I don't know if there is. But here's what I was meaning. Pete Alonso has hit 156 home runs. He is now fifth on the all-time list for home runs by a Met. Meanwhile, he's only been here since 2019. But take a listen to this, just to get a perspective on how great this guy has been. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The guy who's number four on the list is Howard Johnson. Howard Johnson at 192 career home runs. So that's about 36 that Pete is away from Howard Johnson. Howard Johnson has played in double the amount of games as Pete Alonso did. 1,154 games. Pete's played in 551. The guy ahead of Hojo is Mike Piazza, who had 220 home runs in 972 games. Then you have David Wright, 242 in 1,585 games. And Daryl Strawberry, who, of course, is the all-time Met King, 252 home runs in 1,109 games. Those numbers may not make sense. Let me put this in perspective. I did some math. Home runs per plate appearances. I always hear home runs per at-bat. That means less to me. Uh, It's home runs per plate appearance because, yeah, you may draw a walk or you may get hit by a pitch, but it's the amount of times you come to the plate and how often you're hitting a home run. So let's compare Pete where he's at to those other guys. Howard Johnson would hit a home run every 24 plate appearances. Mike Piazza would hit a home run once every 17 plate appearances. 
David Wright would hit a home run once every 28 plate appearances, and the King Darrell Strawberry was once every 18 plate appearances. Pete Alonso is a home run every 15 plate appearances. Well ahead of Straw, well ahead of Piazza, and obviously ahead of David Wright and Howard Johnson. He is already, without question, the greatest slugger this franchise has ever had. I'd put him ahead of everybody. I know he hasn't hit the most home runs, barring him leaving as a free agent, barring catastrophic injury. So I knock on wood with those two things. Pete Alonso is going to own the home run record, and then he's going to assault it. And what he's doing this season is incredible because you notice a big difference with Pete. He's laying off pitches that a year ago he would swing right through. He is becoming an even more dangerous hitter. And this Met offense is clicking right now. It's clicking. And that's without Starling Marte. That's without Alvarez hitting or even Beatty hitting at this point. But last two games against San Francisco, 16 runs in two games. Big part of it's Brandon Nemo, who just doesn't make out. He's getting a hit. He's getting three hits every single game. But you're seeing Jeff McNeil get hot. You're seeing contributions all over the place. And a lineup that people would bitch about is really starting to come its own. It's scoring a lot of runs. I mean, just look at the numbers. We have a sample size now of 21 games. They're averaging over, or I think right around five runs a game, which is the goal. You get five runs a game, that's a freaking big-time offense. So it's working. And I don't even think everything has come together yet, especially from the youngins. And it's working. This team is scoring runs. So just one thing about Alonzo, and I, we talked about this a little bit when we were at the uh, at the uh, Rico Brogy made the appearance at the Mets game last week. Pete Alonzo, I think, is now turned into the best O2 hitter on the Mets since David Wright in his prime. We we've had that discussion. He looks phenomenal. He gets two strikes on him, and he really buckles down, which has made his at bats that much better. And also, you're right. The fact that Alvarez and Beatty haven't clicked, there's no pressure on them right now. And they haven't clicked yet, but they have time to figure it out. That is huge. This is what we've been begging for is bring these guys up. Let them play in spots where it doesn't mean a thing. They can go over four and they still win games. Yeah, no doubt. That was our fear was that they would have to come up as heroes. Alvarez has been a platoon player. I don't think Beatty is going to be a platoon player. I know that him not starting the opener of the series against the Giants, against Manaya certainly raises some red flags. The Mets have also faced an odd amount of lefties so far this season, and there's going to be a few more. Max Fried will face them when they take on the Braves next weekend, so you're going to mix in a few other lefties. But I have more confidence that Beatty's going to most of the time play every single day. They do have this roster issue they have to deal with, and that involves Max Scherzer. And we'll address the Max Scherzer thing in a few minutes. But as far as the roster thing is concerned, they're playing short. And, and that's a tough thing to do to play 25 men deep because you're not getting, in general, a lot of innings out of your starting pitching. And you don't even have five starters on the roster. But when a guy is suspended, one of the things that really hurts the team more than the individual is that he's on the roster. So I know Joel Sherman wrote about it the other day, and I don't think it'll happen, but he speculated about would the Mets send down a position player and actually go with a three-man bench just so they can get that extra pitcher. I think the Mets could hide it until Scherzer comes back. Remember, Max, let's assume he makes that start when he's eligible, which would be the finale against the Atlanta Braves. So you've got three against Atlanta before Max would make the start in the fourth, three against Washington, Two more against the Giants. You've got eight games. You do have an off day on Monday. Are you able to get through that week of games without being so desperate for a pitcher that you got to send a position player down? Because there's only two position players you can send down. Besides I-Yelling Marte, which sounds like it's not going to happen, though I tell you, if you're in that much of a crunch for a pitcher, I-Yelling Marte may not be the worst thing in the world. Because it allows you to do two things. Number one, it gets you the extra pitcher. And two, it allows you to recall Budo if you want him to start next week because otherwise he has to wait the full 10 days. If you put a guy on the injured list, you're able to have that rule waived as long as he's replacing the guy who was hurt. 
Uh, so they didn't do that with Carlos Carrasco because they didn't recall him with that. So you could do that with Marte. So besides I.L.ing Marte, there's only two position players with options, Brett Beatty and Luis Guillorme. Obviously, you don't want to send either guy down, but if you were in such a crunch where you needed another arm, those are the only two options. I don't think the Mets should have to do that. I really don't because you got guys in this bullpen who you could option down to get a fresh arm. This you set that still hasn't even pitched and he's sitting there in this bullpen. They optioned John Curtis that made room for Joey Lucchese. So they've already kind of been creative in doing that. I, I would not like having a three man bench and obviously Luis Guillorme or Brett Beatty. Ideally you don't want down for 10 days because both of those guys play a lot. Let's face it. Both those guys are in the lineup a lot. We've seen Luis Guillorme in the lineup a bunch over the last week. So I hope the Mets will be able to avoid that roster wise while they wait out Scherzer thing. Now let's get to the Scherzer thing. Um, quite frankly on the Rico, I don't give a crap about his legacy. I don't give a crap about was he cheating or not. Here's what we care about. We care about him pitching for the New York Mets. That's all we care about. So if you want to hear that discussion, you can listen to the fan. We've all had it. We're not doing that crap here. What we're doing here is when the hell is Max Scherzer coming back? Was it smart for him to take this suspension? I'll start here, Pete. I'm glad he took the suspension. I am. Because if he fights this, first of all, you're fighting something you're going to lose. You're not getting it overturned. So then if you know that, which Max knows, everybody knows it was never getting overturned. It's all about how does it benefit the Mets? When can this and when should this suspension start to benefit the team? Right away. Right away. It's a 10-game suspension. He's a starting pitcher. If you start using day one, day two, day three, day four, right out the gate, those are days he wouldn't pitch anyway. So you can maneuver this where he really only misses like a start and gets pushed back a few days. Plus, assuming he's ready to go and he better be, why are, why are you here, bro? His start back is against Atlanta. And of course that matters. Like, uh, yeah, divisional games matter more. You're good. You want your best starters pitching in those games. You only have 13 games against the Atlanta Braves. So I, I don't know the other side to this. To me, it's very easy. Max Scherzer and the Mets made the absolute right decision, not fighting this thing because it's best for the Mets for Max Scherzer to serve it immediately for the reasons I laid out. Yeah, listen, I, I won't lie to you. I think it's I'm happy that he took it too. The only thing I could think of is that he went so hard and went so adamant about the fact that he you know didn't do anything wrong. Listen, I look at the Domingo Herman thing and look at umpires who talked about Rosin, who talked about it and laughed about it and said, yo, he washed it off, but didn't wash it off well, blah, blah, blah. So I guess for that, if if he did things right and for his legacy and he thinks he's going to be ruined over the Rosin and, and, and being caught being a cheater, yeah, I guess I understand it, but I needed this to happen too. And I'll tell you why. I'm still very, very concerned about who Max Scherzer currently is. In six starts, it has not been smooth. It's been rough starts. It's been... It's been battles. It's been not going deep. I know that the last game he pitched three of no giving up, not giving up any runs, but it's not like it was smooth. First inning, he gave up. It was base loaded again. So it, it was another rough goal of it. I'm almost happy. Give the guy a mental break and find it freaking out. So when he comes back in Atlanta, he better be freaking perfect. He better be going seven innings deep. Yeah, look, we want dominant Max Scherzer. I mean, there's no question about it. We haven't seen that guy in a while. The last time we saw dominant Max Scherzer was late last year in the game against Milwaukee. Remember, he also had this start against the Dodgers pushed back by a couple of days because of the back issue. So it can't hurt to even have that rest for the back. Max could tell us it's all fine. It's all fine and dandy, but there was a back issue. So giving him that 10-day respite, it's not the worst thing in the world. The thing that's annoying about it is the roster situation I laid out. It's not the fact they don't have him for 10 days, that he's missing a start. I know it's a bad time to miss him because of how down the Mets are in their rotation. But I think the biggest negative to this whole thing is the roster situation being annoying. I think that, yeah, if you think you're innocent in something and you're going to scream and yell, you're going to fight it to the end. 
But I think at times you need to be smart. Max Scherzer was guilty, okay? If if Dan Bellino is saying that's the stickiest hand I've ever seen, I don't think he's lying. He had a very sticky hand. That doesn't mean he was doing it on purpose necessarily. His spin rates weren't affected in some kind of big degree. So, and that's important. The more I've thought about this issue, spin rates matter because the whole reason for the ban on sticky stuff was because they don't want spin rates getting out of whack like it used to. They don't want as many swing and misses because balls are moving in a way that they shouldn't move. If spin rates are not going up in a given start, I think Max should have been thrown out. I I do have to admit that. If Dan Bellino is touching his hand and it's sticky as F in inning after he told him, go wash it, he's got to do it. Uh, So I will defend the umpires. I I think one of the easy things I've heard, I know Jim Rome did a sports minute on it. I just want to, I want to ask him nicely, please never talk about baseball. Just talk about anything else. Just, you don't know anything about baseball. But this, and he's not the only one who would say, oh, it's the ump show. It's the ump show. The umps want attention. Is it really that? Or did Dan Polino touch Max Scherzer's hand and say, dude, I just told you to wash it off. It's sticky as F. So I get throwing him out. But what I would say is, Now, when we're talking about suspensions, we should look at spin rates. If we see that there's no discernible difference, and the whole point of this rule is to keep guys from creating this weird spin to their baseball that's not natural, and you see that it's not there, then just find the guy and move on. That's the way I look at it, because Max did not have a great addition to his spin by using this stuff. That's why I'm not overly concerned about this notion of, Well, what is he without the sticky stuff? It's not as if his ball was spinning at some kind of crazy rate. So I don't think he's necessarily relying on it for that. But I think he needs to be smart. Because Craig and I called Major League Baseball to ask a very important question. And it's a question, Met fans, you may not have thought about, but we should think about. What if this happened again? Right? What if Max Scherzer in the middle of July, dare I say, gets caught with the umpire saying your hand's too sticky, I'm throwing you out. It's an automatic 10-game suspension. So what I wanted to know, so I said, Craig, call Major League Baseball. What happens if you get caught again? They did not give me a specific number, but they did say it's more serious. So that leads me to think it's more than a 10-game suspension. That would worry me. Because even if you don't think Max Scherzer's purposely using sticky stuff to add a spin to his baseball – If it's a hot summer day and his hands turn out to be extra sticky for whatever reason, and he gets thrown out of the game, that could lead to a more serious issue. So I hope Max is smart because I don't think he acted smart with this whole thing. You know, he says, I'm not an idiot. I knew they were going to test me. Well, then don't have your hand washed with alcohol and more of that crap, more rosin to where your hand is. You don't know your hand is sticky. You don't know your hand is like, freaking elmer's glue you can't feel that you don't think it's possible that the umpires especially an umpire who's thrown out everybody who's been involved with this you don't think it may not look good we got to be smart you got to use more common sense i don't think he did it's only a kick a jump a block it's only a serve it's only a tackle a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. But here's the thing, too, is first of all, Max Scherzer, we've seen him before. We saw him with the the Joe Girardi fiasco where he almost took off his pants at the stadium because he got called out for being extra sweaty and stuff like that, and they were were going above and beyond. It it is funny and interesting to me, though. The rosin bag is sitting out there. They don't put the rosin on 
when they go out there. They they put it out before they're at the bench stuff like that. They they have to. I don't want to say relegate, but almost like divvy out. You have X amount of rosin you can use. If they're gonna check them before they go out to the inning for their fingers for for their hands for sticky stuff, then they have to say you can't put the rosin on until you get to the field. Yeah, to until you get to the mound. That's it. That that's got to be done. That's got to be cut off. And yeah. then that should be for everybody. You would think there's logical ways to try to keep this thing even, but obviously that was not the case with him. He is due back from the suspension on the Monday wraparound game against the Atlanta Braves. So here's the way the rotation lies out. And I think the Mets are making this a little bit more complicated because they really want Kodai Senga to get these extra days because by giving Senga an extra day, it means the Mets are going to have to find a starting pitcher for Tuesday's game against Washington. And it also means Kodai Senga will not face the Atlanta Braves. So the way it's going to line up is that Tuesday night against the Nationals, the Mets have to find somebody to start. Jose Budo, I guess, could be recalled. If someone goes on the injured list, they could just do a bullpen kind of game and just throw the whole bullpen out against Washington. Then it's going to be Kodai Senga, Joey Lucchese, David Peterson, Tyler McGill. So it would line up for the Atlanta series to have David Peterson pitch on Friday night against the Braves, uh, against Max Fried, by the way. Tyler McGill to pitch Saturday against the Braves, against Spencer Strider. And then I guess on Sunday, I don't know who the hell they would have Sunday. I'm trying to, I'm trying to not lose count on this thing. Because if Sanga's pitching Wednesday, that would line him up to pitch Monday. But that's the day Scherzer comes back. So that means Sanga's not pitching Monday. It means Sanga would pitch Tuesday in Detroit against the Tigers. So I guess the guy who pitches Saturday would be the person who pitched. No, the, the person who pitches Sunday would be the guy who pitched Tuesday, whoever the hell that is. <laughs> and maybe it's Justin Verlander because I, I don't think Verlander should necessarily have to make a rehab start even if you're trying to stretch them out, because think about what your options are at the major league level. Your options at the major league level would be a bullpen day. Well, if it's a bullpen day, why not just have Verlander throw three or four innings? That makes the most sense. So the way it's lining up right now would be Sangle Wednesday against the Nationals, Lucchese Thursday against the Nationals, Peterson on Friday, McGill on Saturday, and then somebody on Sunday, Scherzer on Monday. And if not Scherzer, because you don't think he's ready, then Senga would make the start on the Monday game against the Atlanta Braves. Speaking of starting pitching, Madison Bumgarner was DFA'd by the Arizona Diamondbacks. His numbers are awful. Um, and I went deeper than that, by the way, Pete. His velocity is way down. His spin rates are way down. He looks done. Like, when you look closer, you go to Baseball Savant and check out what's up with Madison Bumgarner, there really isn't any redeeming quality. So I think what we may do is naturally say, but it's Madison Bumgarner. You know, he's one of the great clutch pitchers of all time. I'll take a flyer on him. And I think when you're this down at starting pitching, it, I, I totally get, like, the whole Matt Harvey thing is another popular name. Yeah, bring Matt Harvey in. Yeah, bring Madison Bumgarner in. I think the reality is neither guy would be good. Now, with Bumgarner, I'm not going to use Harvey as much. He hasn't been in the major leagues in a while. But you look at Madison Bumgarner in the four starts he made this season, and he walked 15 guys in 16 and two-thirds innings. 15 guys. He gave up four home runs in 16 and two-thirds innings. Last year, he went out and made 30 starts. I'll give him that. But his strikeouts per nine were as low as they've ever been in his entire career. His whip was very, very high. His home runs were tons. Like, he just wasn't good. And the problem with Bumgarner is since 2020, he hasn't been good. So am I in favor of bringing him in? No. If they did, I can't complain only because... Ah, it's probably for minimum salary. But is that guy whose velocity is now topping out at 89 miles an hour? You're not getting guys out. So when you cut her at 88 miles an hour, you're just not. Can that guy 
really give you a better option in the rotation than even a Jose Budo? I don't think it is. We, we sometimes get so attracted to name value that we say, of course, it's a better option. Not based on any number you look at, it's not a better option. So kick the tires, but I'm just telling you, I, my own research tells me he's cooked and the Mets should stay away. All right, so this is the reason why they should look into Madison Bumgarner, and it's not to be a starting pitcher, which sucks because the depth we need clearly. There's no more depth in the rotation. But but the bullpen just needs as much help. I mean, hell, they brought back Tommy Hunter again, too. Like, they send John Curtis down. They bring up Tommy Hunter again. I understand the whole option thing, but I think Curtis earned his spot in the bullpen here. I think he's pitched pretty pretty well. But Madison Bumgarner, if you could figure out a way to get him a long relief guy, one, maybe two innings, maybe I don't think he'd do it. I don't think he'd do it. Like, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with your point of, ah, just another arm in the bullpen. Throw him out there. Despite how bad he looks, I would think there's going to be a team that says, hey, you're going to be a starter for us. I, I think there would at least be one team. I don't know if Bumgarner at this point in his career is really just going to take a bullpen role. It may come to that. I mean, I, he's been awful. I don't know of how realistic that is. But we'll see. I mean, he's going to obviously not be picked up by anybody. Nobody's going to trade for that contract. It's going to be paid off by the Arizona Diamondbacks. He will then become a free agent. And at that point, he'll get to make a decision on where he wants to go. But I was surprised about that. As bad as he is, I, I guess I didn't expect the Diamondbacks to basically write a $25 million check for Bumgarner to go away. That is an all-time bad one. That's a bad one, man. And good good for the Giants. The Giants got everything out of Madison Bumgarner, and they decided not to pay him, which I remember at the time saying, boy, that's tough. That's one of your icons. That's one of your, your franchise guys. And he was only 29 years old. But they turned out to be making one of the great decisions you could ever make. It's cold-hearted, but it turned out to be right. His numbers with Arizona in the four years he was there, he made 69 starts, nice, 15 and 32 with a 5.23 ERA. Wow. Wow, that's bad. Did he – but he recovered from that accident. Was that was that part of his down, downfall? Was the accident that he had in the ATV, was that part of it? It may have been. It may have also just been the innings. I mean, when he was 21 years old with the Giants – he would throw 200 innings every every single year. And then you factor in those postseason runs. It could just simply be the toll of innings that he threw. And he's going to have a weird legacy because I remember about 2017, 2018, I had this discussion with Joe on the air with the idea of him being a Hall of Famer, that he's a Hall of Fame pitcher. And you look at his numbers between 2011 and 2018, he was never dominant, but... His postseasons were so amazing that that almost brought him up a level. But you look at his numbers in totality now, they're not that good. I mean, he's not, he's just not a Hall of Fame pitcher. What he is, is one of the great postseason pitchers of all time. That is true. And two things can be true at the same time. You can be one of the great postseason pitchers of all time, and you can be not a Hall of Famer. Uh, let's get to Ronnie Mauricio. So, Finally, Met fans, and we have talked about this a lot. We've questioned it a lot as far back as spring training. What are we doing with Ronnie Mauricio only playing shortstop? That has changed. Billy Epler's confirmed it. Buck's confirmed it. He played second base the other night. He's going to even play a little bit of the outfield. And in Steve Gelbs' report during the Met game, they've envisioned him as a super utility guy. Go out and learn every single position. His bat will eventually get into the lineup and he'll get in the lineup playing everywhere. That is great news. I don't want to be negative by saying, why now? It should have been last year. Better late than ever would be the way I look at it. Uh, so, yeah, as much as I would have liked for this to be going on in spring training, I think it's clear what's happened. Ronnie Mauricio is so destroying AAA right now, and that is picking up where he left off in the Winter League and picking up where he left off in spring training. So now you're talking about a bigger sample size. You're talking about winter ball. You're talking about spring training. And now you're talking about these 19 games at Syracuse. You start to add that up and you've got, you know, 80, 90 games. He is tearing it up at such a high level right now. The Mets realized, holy crap, 
He's on the doorstep. He's ready bat-wise. Because remember, the BS they gave us about Beatty was not about his bat, was about his defense. So they put a premium on defense, which I, to a degree, understand. The Mets have a hell of a defensive team right now. You can't have a guy in the minor leagues thinking about defense when the position he plays is the same position as a guy who's not giving up the position. So I don't know how long it's going to take before the Mets have confidence in Mauricio at second base, at third base, in the outfield. I think short-term, Pete, I'm not talking long-term. I'm talking about short-term. His role with this team would probably be as the designated hitter and backup shortstop. I don't think this season necessarily he'd be viewed as a guy who's playing the outfield. He'd be the DH. And by playing the DH position, that's the bat that they add. So I think it's great that he's going to learn these other positions, but I'm not sure if that's his role this season. I think that may be his role next year and the year after that, but I still kind of view him as a DH option. Again, they 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 comped him to Jordan Alvarez, and then I, I just got like all silly inside. Like that that to <laughs> me is a beautiful thing. Um, because we see how good Alvarez is in, in Houston. Yeah, I think that though, if that's the if that's the case, we're talking about you're talking about how to create room for Mauricio now. It's the DHs works, but that means who's gonna be out. And that looks like if Vogelback Vogelback can't get things going, he may be the odd man out eventually. Well, by the way, you know, you guys love to kill Daniel Vogelback. Yes, Vogelback. Hit more had... home runs. <laughs> I know, I know. We need we need home runs from Vogel. I get it. He is starting to hit, though, a little bit. He is. He's starting to hit a little bit. In game two of this series, he had two base hits, including an RBI single. That was the ninth inning, and the game was pretty much out of reach. Yeah, look, Vogelback, if Mauricio's up here, it probably means Daniel Vogelback is either a left-handed bat off the bench or he's traded somewhere else. Like, I acknowledge that. I, I wonder with this team. When do you say about a guy at AAA, like they finally did with Beatty, because Beatty didn't come up here because of an injury, which we thought maybe would be the case. They brought him up because they said, holy crap, we have to bring him up. When does that holy crap moment happen for Ronnie Mauricio? Right now, last check, he's hitting 358 with a 1,172 OPS, six home runs, 14 RBIs. What point? And it's only 19 games. I acknowledge that. Maybe it's halfway through the season. Because what they did with Beatty is ideally what they would do with Mauricio Pete. They don't call him up because of a need. They call him up because he's ready. And that's what I feel good about with Beatty. They called it up. I know Escobar wasn't hitting. But in terms of the way the Mets were playing, it wasn't like, oh, my God, we got to go make a move. It was, the guy has to be here. The guy's earned it here. So, Vientos, too, by the way, because Vientos is tearing it up as well. Like, at what point do you say, all right, F it, these guys, these guys have to be at the major league level? So but the one issue that we have last year was actually the perfect time for a lot of these guys to get the call. Obviously, it's a year removed now where we're, they're, they're much better than they were last year, which is great. They're showing it. They, they all crushed it in AAA. The Braves are still really good. So it's not like the Mets have this huge lead. They don't have a huge lead in the division. They don't have any lead. So they need to get – if they can get to a comfortable 10-game lead in the in the NL East, that's where you say bring in, bring in Mauricio. Listen, the Mets are playing great. They're not going to have a 10-game lead in the National League East. That's not going to happen. I mean, the Atlanta Braves are a good team. I think we went through this all last year. Like – the only difference between last year and this year is that the Braves aren't spotting the Mets a lead. Like they're not yeah. spotting them a lead so that our buddy Sal could say the division is over. Like the Braves are off to a really good start. They're 14 and six. The Mets are 14 and seven. That's why the Mets are a half game out. I don't think they're ever going to have a lead. And I don't think you should make decisions based on that. I think you should make decisions based on when someone's ready. And that's going to be the curious factor. At what point would they feel defensively? in terms of the versatility and the positions he's learning. Because I think Ronnie Mauricio's main role here would be at DH. But I think you want him to know positions so that you can use him sparingly at these positions. Because the versatility of McNeil, 
the versatility even of Escobar and Guillaume allows you to do creative things to get these bats in the lineup. Right now, we're seeing it with McNeil, and we talked about this in spring training. If it was ever going to be an injury in the outfield, and there is one right now at Starling Marte, hopefully not too serious with this neck, the easy answer is not Tommy Pham. The easy answer is Jeff McNeil because Jeff McNeil plays a good outfield, and that opens up an opportunity for Luis Guillaume or for Eduardo Escobar, who we still haven't seen play second base, even though we can play second base. Like, I, I don't know if... I don't know if Buck's just saying to himself, look, the defense is so much better with Luis Guillorme. We're not getting that much out of Escobar anyway. So screw it. We're just going to play Guillorme at second base in these situations. Do you? All right. July 1st. That, that's, a, that's a far part. That's, that's, that's far enough away. Do we have all four prospects up in the bigs? No. 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 I'm going to say no to that one. No. I, can't, I mean, if guys are hitting 380, maybe. <laughs> if Mauricio has 20 home runs in July, by July 1st, he's not getting called up? There comes a point where Billy Epler says, screw it, call him up. But how great is this? The Mets right now are 14-7. and seven. The New York Mets on a West Coast trip in which I said, give me five and five, I'll be happy. They are sitting here right now 7-1. and 7-1. and one on a West Coast trip, and don't waste our time with the Dodgers aren't good, the A's aren't good, the Giants, everybody sucks. Who cares? Like, that doesn't ma- That never matters. Every win counts the same. So, yeah, I know the Oakland A's suck. No one's debating that. I know the Dodgers are at a down point. They'll make the playoffs anyway, by the way, and they'll probably, I don't say they'll win the division, but they'll win 90-plus games. But, yeah, they're not playing great baseball. The Giants aren't playing great baseball. No one's fighting that fight. No one's going to deny the status of those three teams. My response will simply be, who cares? You play who's on your schedule, and you beat them. And the Mets, despite all these injuries in the rotation, despite all of that, are going out and winning every freaking day. And that's awesome. Just keep piling it up. So it's seven and one. If you could split the final two games against the Giants, that's an eight and two road trip. I mean, my God, an eight and two West Coast trip coming home to take on the Washington Nationals. Holy mackerel. Remember last year we were arguing, we were saying we had the best uh the best split in a, on a road trip ever. What was it? We went five and five or six, yes. six or whatever it was, and we were yes. bragging about that. If we can go eight and two, I mean, come on. That's Let's a trip. Go. Let's go. They've already secured a great road trip. Because not that I'm good with losing the last two games, but seven and three is a great West Coast trip. I mean, if, if I would have said that five days ago, it would have been like, yeah, well, of course. So we'll see. <laughs> David Peterson, Tyler McGill in the final two games of this series. We know Logan Webb's going to start for the Giants. He's off to a tough start on Saturday. And then the Giants are going to decide somebody on Sunday. It'll probably be a lefty, though, because that's who the Mets face. They seem to always face lefties. <laughs> but it's a fun time right now to be a Mets fan, so enjoy it. You can email the pod, the Rico B at gmail.com. We'll be back with another Rico after this series ends. Remember, they play Sunday night, so it'll be a very late-night podcast after they wrap up this series against the San Francisco Giants. Let's go, Mets. Have a good weekend. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronio podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.